Good morning, it's lovely to be with you. Um, we trust that our time together will be blessed for ourselves as we gather in Christ's name and seek to glorify God together. We're continuing our study in the book of Esther. So I've been asked to have a look at Esther chapter 4 with you this morning. And we'll take time to read through that chapter together. Esther chapter 4. <clears throat> so the story continues. <clears throat> when Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to urge her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal province know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the golden scepter to him and spare his life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer, Do not think that because you were in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent all this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Let's pray. Fathers, we gather together around your word. We thank you that your word is living and it's powerful. It is able to change lives. And so we pray that your word will speak clearly to us this morning. 
Give us eyes to see your truth. Give us a mind to understand. But above everything else, would you give us a heart that will respond? Father, bless us, we pray. In Jesus' lovely name. Amen. If I didn't know Kevin any better, I would have sworn he was looking through my notes this morning. It's very interesting in the things that he said just before I came up. And he spoke about opportunity and he spoke about fear. In this chapter, there are three very strong themes that come through loud and clear. The first is this, recognizing a God-given opportunity. Secondly, responding to that call from God without fear. And thirdly, reaching out to God in prayer and, as the chapter suggests, in fasting as well, this, this biblical practice. If I could give you three coat hangers upon which to hang our thoughts this morning, they would be three words, very simple. Faith, fear, and fasting. I don't know if you follow the news closely. I certainly do. And a couple of weeks ago, I was watching a news item, and uh, it was a news reporter speaking to a Ukrainian driver en route. And this guy spent all day, every day, every day of his life since the Russians invaded his land, driving into towns and villages to evacuate families to a safer place. As he was being interviewed, the news reporter noticed that on his right arm, as he was driving, there was a large tattoo. And the tattoo bore an image. And in the middle of that image were two words in Latin, carpe diem. And if you know your Latin, which I don't, I had to find this out. Those two words mean seize the day. So I thank you to Kev for talking about taking hold of opportunity. Let me help with that a little bit this morning. Seize the day. In this middle chapter of Esther's story, Esther would have to put her own life at risk taking hold of an opportunity that was presented to her to rescue her people from annihilation. She would have to face and overcome her personal fear, and she would do this with the aid of prayer and fasting. That, for us this morning, is a summary of the chapter. And maybe today, this is a message that you need to hear. Opportunity. And if that's the case, can I suggest that as a result of our time together, you would just take away with you one verse. Verse 14 in our reading. Who knows but that you have been brought to this place, whether it's physically or spiritually in your life, for such a time as this. During the height of the American Civil War, Abraham Lincoln found refuge at the midweek meeting of a small local church in Washington, D.C. He would go there with his aide, sit quietly at the back of the church, and listen intently as the minister would open up God's words and teach it to the congregation. The war was tearing the nation apart, but it was also tearing at Abraham Lincoln's 
own soul because in this conflict he had just lost his own son. Lincoln was grieving. He was hurting. He needed grace. He needed sustenance. He needed solace. He needed to hear from God. He needs to meet with God. The preacher finished his sermon and the people got up to leave the church. The aide said to the president, Mr. President, what did you think about this sermon? And Abraham Lincoln replied, I thought this sermon was very well thought out. And so the aide said again, did you think it was a great sermon? And Abraham Lincoln said, no. I thought the preacher failed because he didn't ask something great from our lives. And that in his eyes was a failure. The preacher hadn't challenged the people to do something more for God with their lives. Abraham Lincoln understood one central truth from God's word. When life is difficult, when struggles and hardships come our way with all the pain and pressure that runs alongside, it is then that God calls his people to rise up and do something about it. If I can take you back to Ukraine, right at the start when Russia first invaded that land, Pauline and myself, we read a prayer letter sent from English missionaries serving in Ukraine. These two missionaries were living in an apartment overlooking one of the airfields that was under heavy bombing by the Russians as they were seeking to take out the air force of Ukraine. And these two missionaries in their prayer letter stated this, we will not leave. God has called us to this place to serve in this church, to serve the people and the community around us. How can we leave? This is God's call upon our lives. This call of God is a repeated theme throughout the whole of the Bible. And if you were to take time to scan the stories of the Bible, you will find so many occasions where God has called his people to do great things for him. Noah was called to build an ark. Moses was called to lead the children of Israel out of slavery. Joshua was called to tear down the walls of Jericho. David was called to defeat Goliath as a young teenage boy. Great things for God. Esther was called to become instrumental in saving the lives of hundreds of thousands of Jewish people who were under the death penalty because of this king's edict. But it's not just the big things, the great things. God also calls us to do small things which have great power and influence because he is a great God. Think about this small boy who offered his small lunch to Jesus, and yet it became enough to feed 5,000 people. 
Think about that widow who gave all that she had out of her poverty into the temple treasury. And her story is still challenging and influencing people's lives today. Small things, but become great in the hands of God. And so today, God might be calling you to do something great for him or something small for him. But when we come with willingness and with faith in God's arms, in his hands, he can do wonderful things with our lives. What does he want? Openness, an open heart, a willingness, willing hands and willing feet. This brings us beautifully into Esther chapter 4 this morning. And what did we find? Mordecai is frantic. He has obeyed God by not bowing down in worship to another man. He has done the right thing, but his obedience has threatened the annihilation of his people. We've seen that in the previous chapters, not that we've got time to look back over that this morning. So here in this chapter, what does he do? We read together, he tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth. He covered his head with ashes and he cried bitter tears in the city and then at the gates of the palace. These are signs of mourning. And the writer tells us very clearly that Mordecai, because of his mourning state, he could not enter into the palace. He couldn't go beyond the gates. Why? Because we're talking about the king of Persia, this mighty man. No one in mourning would be allowed to enter into the king's presence. Esther, at this time, she had not heard about the king's edict. She didn't know the danger that her people were in. But she could not ignore the cries of this man, Mordecai. This man who had raised her and taught her obedience to God and the worship of God. That could not be ignored. And so we read together that she sent her attendants to find out what was going wrong. When they came back, the news rocked her world. It was shocking. But what was even more shocking was Mordecai's expectation of Esther. He expected Esther to do something about the situation. And what was that expectation? He expected her to approach the king and plead for the safety of the people. Esther in this chapter explains that's not a good idea. This is not a good time for me to approach the king. In fact, never is it a good time for me to take the initiative and approach the king. He is the king of Persia. He is powerful, but he's also dangerous. And she would be putting her own life at risk if she were to take the initiative. And without the golden scepter being offered to her, come into the king's presence, that wasn't going to happen. That wasn't the done thing. Esther wouldn't do it. So come stop in the story. Why? Why, Esther, won't you do this? Why won't you jump to the aid of your people who are being threatened with annihilation? And what do we find? 
if we read into this chapter carefully, if we look a little bit between the lines, we find this central truth. Esther is afraid. But we're not here this morning to judge Esther because she's afraid. Because we might not step up to God's challenge when he gives us an opportunity to take hold of and do something great for him because we are afraid. A psychologist did a study of the five strongest fears that people face in life today. And this is his summary. The fear of failure. The fear of commitment. The fear of trusting someone else. That's interesting. The fear of speaking out. And the fifth one, the fear of being alone. But do you know what I find? All of these different fears would have probably come into Esther's life in one form or another. You today, you might not be afraid of speaking out, but you might be afraid of being alone. You might not be afraid of commitment, but you might be afraid of trusting others. When I looked at this list and I looked at my own life and applied that to me, I was shocked with what I found. And I'm not brave enough to tell you this morning. But I am brave enough to say I would add one more to that list. It comes over and above all the others in the life of Esther. It's the fear of the unknown. If I take that step and talk to that person about Jesus, I don't know what the response is going to be. But do you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. When God has asked me to serve in the church, and it's something I'm out of my comfort zone, I don't know whether I could do it, I might fail. But I'm going to do it anyway. And there are reasons for that. Fear comes at us in all shapes and sizes. It can control us. It can enslave us. It can hold us and limit us in its grips. It's a very real emotion. And God knows. Because God knows us. A study was made of the number of times you will read the words, fear not, in the Bible. The result was astounding. 365 times. That's wonderful. Because that's a promise from God for us to not be afraid for every day of the year. Isn't that lovely? And then we start a new year and start all those promises all over again. It's wonderful. Let's ask another question. How did Esther face and overcome her fears? Three things. Place, people, presence. The place, she was in the right place at the right time. And she came to realize that she was the only one who could do something about what was going on. People, she had the advice of a very wise counselor, Mordecai. Presence, she would know from her upbringing that the presence of God was with her. Can we apply that? Yes, we can. Sometimes we are the persons in the right place 
and God calls us to do something, me. Other people around us are there to help and pray and guide and advise. And then the presence of God is a wonderful, wonderful promise. Shows that God, who is not mentioned by name from beginning to end of this book, is completely present in the dealings and what's going on. He is in control from start to finish. And he uses Mordecai as the man to bring the awareness of the danger into Esther's life. And that brings her and makes her completely involved. If God brings something to your attention, I guarantee it's because he wants you to be involved. He wants you to do something about it, to step up in faith, to overcome your fear, and to lay hold of a God-given opportunity. And I love the words of Mordecai to his niece, just to enforce it. He says two things. The first thing he says is, Esther, don't think for a moment, if you don't step up to this, that you will be saved just because you are in the house of the king. You will die with your family. You will be annihilated along with everybody else. But then he follows with this wonderful word, a key verse in our chapter. But Esther, who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Esther was afraid. Mordecai was afraid. We will be afraid at times. God knows us and God knows that will happen. And that's why the words of the psalmist come ringing true to us so loudly and clearly. The psalmist wrote, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. And those words have been made to form songs. We sing the truth. Now it's time to believe the truth. But when we think about fear, can I say one more thing? This is quite interesting. When Isaiah wrote about fear... He said this, do not fear what they fear, as in what unbelievers, what the world fears, and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. Oddly enough, it is suggesting that the fear of God will help us to overcome our everyday fears. Now, I need to just make this clear. God does not want us to be afraid of him. He offers open arms for us to run to him. The fear of God is recognizing who he is and what he can do in your lives. It's having this holy respect of his position and where he is and what he has already done. That is the fear of God. And just to enforce it, <clears throat> another psalmist wrote, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. When I was a teenager, my parents um, had a dog. And uh, this dog was called Toby. Toby was a black Labrador. He was lovely. He was so friendly, so gentle. He wasn't the most intelligent of dogs. And in fact, to be nearer the truth, he was actually a little bit daft. 
Now, my father was a disciplinarian in our family, and he made it very clear to Toby that his place was downstairs. We didn't live in a very big house, not a big backyard or anything like that. His place was downstairs. If he ever climbed up those stairs, he would be in trouble and he would be disciplined. Toby knew this. But I remember the night of a terrible storm. Thunder and lightning roared around us. The house shook. And Toby was terrified. And he galloped up those stairs as fast as he could. Couldn't see it, but you could hear it. Up he went. And where did he go? He didn't come to my bedroom. He didn't come to my brother's bedroom. He didn't go to the side of my mother. Where did Toby go? He went to the side of my father. Because he knew in his mind is little intelligence that if there was one place that was safe it was next to the person he feared let that truth sink in god's answer for us conquering our fears is for us to realize actually i just need to fear god i need to keep in step with him i need to embrace his will for my life I need to follow his footsteps. I need to obey him and do what he asked me to do. If I do that, everything else will fall into place. God will watch over me. Our time is nearly gone. So very quickly, we come to the final point. When it comes to big decisions, when it comes to big problems and big opportunities, to really obey God in these things, we need to take on this wonderful spiritual practice of praying and fasting. Isaiah said this, speaking as the mouthpiece of God, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? declares the Lord, to loose the chains of injustice, to set the oppressed free, then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your real guard. Then you will call on the Lord, and he will answer. You will cry to him for help, and he will say, hear am I. Wonderful promise, which I want you to claim this morning, but it is linked with this practice of fasting. Certain situations will come, and when they come away, they require us to kick our lives into a higher spiritual gear of activity. Serious praying, and this, this wonderful practice of fasting Setting aside not just food, but other spiritual blessings that we enjoy and perhaps take for granted in our days. When we do that, you will be blessed as you stand back and watch what God will do. He takes us seriously, and we need to take him seriously as well. I still remember the days, because I'm that, that age now when we first bought Menadue Farm to use it as a youth camp. Now, I'm talking about days when I was just a teenager, I believe. A little bit older, actually. And I can remember the meetings, 
been together when we said we know this is God's will. We know God has provided this. We have no money. And I can remember as groups of young people in Plymouth, we met and we prayed all night. We fasted. And now I look back and I thank God for being a God who blesses, who meets us, who answers our prayers. Esther facing this huge, seemingly insurmountable problem. And what does she do? To face her fear, to rise above it, she took hold of the challenge and she told Mordecai, gather the Jews together and fast for me for three days. Wow, I did for a night. I've done about three days. And she said, I will do the same with my maids and servants. Her fear turns to courage as she said, when this is done, I will then approach the king. If I die, I die. Now, what we have here is Esther, who had this immense, real, tangible fear of approaching the king, now in a place of total submission before God. She was where God needed her to be. And look at what happens next. It's a fantastic story. She feared the king of Persia, but she feared the God of Israel more. Laying hold of God, recognizing she was in that position to do something about that situation. And I just wonder whether that resonates with you this morning. Things you might have been fighting, things you might be afraid of. Maybe it's time to come before God with prayer and fasting. Say, Lord, you've been knocking on my door. You've been asking me to do this. I've been putting you off. But maybe now's the time. Maybe it's a time because you, you just don't know God in your life. Maybe this is the time to change that situation. Maybe as you're growing up, you are fighting the Christian life. It's too difficult. It's too hard. The peer pressure is too great. Come back to God and see the plan that he's got for your life. Maybe you've been on the Christian road a long, long time. You're tired. Maybe you've lost your way. Come back to God. Fear the living God in a wonderful way. And be excited with what he can do in your life. A life of faith. Fear, yes, that's real. Fasting with serious prayer, it's a great experience to be a part of. I pray that this morning these simple thoughts will bless your hearts. Do we have a closing song? Thank you, Kevin.